Ministries and Intimate Local Christian Church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor William. This Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. He is the one and only God. And the Apostle John does a magnificent job of describing the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ throughout his gospel. Like in John chapter 6, verse 35, which says, Jesus said to the people who had seen him feed 5,000 men plus their families with five loaves of bread and two fishes, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am is what is said of God. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come down from heaven like the living manna, not to do my own will, but to do the will of God the Father who sent me. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord, took on the form of a human being as Jesus, the Christ, the prophesied Jewish Messiah, and he made it possible for the people who were living at the time to see perfect God in perfect flesh. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, you'll learn the Word of God from God's perspective and not from human perspective. God provides this ministry to give you a mental sanctuary, a refuge. A refuge is a place where you can take cover, where you can be protected, where you can learn supernatural truth that provides divine solutions for your human problems. And when your strength is not enough, and it never is, the Lord's strength is perfect. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the Lord says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden by the burdens of the world, and I will give you rest for your souls. So welcome to a place where you can be, where you don't have to do as if your works could earn your salvation or your serenity. Well, why do Christians study the Word of God? The Apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, Beloved, and that's a term meaning divinely loved believers in Christ. Beloved, be on your guard. Play defense so that all of you Christians are not led astray by the error of unprincipled men, false teachers. That's the one thing that people walk around in oblivion about. People walk in oblivion in this world about the fact that there are false teachers 
with false teaching who are looking to deceive you. I just heard about uh, a guy who was in a company and got involved in a Ponzi scheme in the company. And he didn't even know that he was in the scheme. And now he's spending eight years in federal prison because he didn't know that the company that he was in was running a Ponzi scheme. And the top two guys in the, in the scheme are getting 25 years. But he's in prison because he didn't even know. And that's, that's us as people. We're walking around every day thinking everybody is for us and everything's on the up and up. And then when we hear lessons like this, we go, what is the big deal here? Why are we getting so upset? And it's because as human beings, we, we don't dig a well before we're thirsty. We don't think about getting ourselves in a mental position to be effective during the time of pressure. When there's no pressure on us, there's no big deal. The big deals in life are the times when we have pressure on us, the times where they say, hey, I, <clears throat> I don't want to be the one to break this to you, but you have cancer. What are you going to do then? What's your phone going to do for you then? What's a concert going to do for you then? Nothing. What is entertainment going to do for you then? Nothing. What's TikTok going to do for you then? Nothing. Because that's dead serious. We're not prepared for those things because when we come to situations like this that are preparing you without crisis, we don't pay much attention, do we? Do we? Nope, we don't. So that's why we study the Word of God. So, beloved, divinely loved believers in Christ, be on your guard. What does that mean? Protect yourself before you need the protection. So that you're not led astray by the error of unprincipled men, false teachers. You're surrounded by unprincipled people. So you don't fall from your steadfastness. And that's a message specifically to Christians that we have a secure position in Christ. And we are victors through Christ. And we don't want to fall away from that. We study the Bible so that we are not tricked by false teachers and their false teaching. And that's why we're studying... Paul's letter to the Colossians, 2 Peter 3.18, instead of being fooled by false teachers in their false teachings, teachings, keep on growing in the sphere of grace and in the knowledge of the one who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And this is Super Bowl Sunday, and I think it's kind of funny that most people in the, in the United States have spent more time preparing for the Super Bowl and preparing to watch it and making all the preparations that are necessary to do that than they do preparing for their eternal security by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do they do that? Because God has an enemy. Who is God's enemy? Satan is God's enemy the one whom God made the ruler of this world in which we live. He is called the devil. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called the serpent of old. He's called the prince of the power of the airwaves. He controls the media. And he is the one who is working in the sons of disobedience. And believers in Christ are comforted because as 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 makes clear, we believers in Christ know that we are possessions of God the Father, even though we know 
that the whole world lies in the deceptive power of Satan, the evil one. If you come to Bra Ministries every week, you spend about two hours here. But you spend 110 hours in the world being influenced by the world. Every time you look at a television, every time you listen to a radio, every time you go to a movie, every time you are exposed to any media, any anything on your phone, when you watch videos, you're being exposed to deception, lies that are designed to make you comfortable, to make you think you have no problems. They're not designed to educate you. Remember when we used to read books that educated us and that gave us some different thoughts about how to tackle different problems? Those days are gone. If it doesn't come in video form, we don't even pay attention to it. And it's a shame that that's the case. But your spiritual life is warfare. Your soul is the battleground. Yet believers in Christ are not fighting for the victory. We already have it in this warfare. Thanks to the Lord, we are operating from victorious ground. Today's Bible lesson, do you know how to pray? Today's Bible lesson, do you know how to pray? Well, the Apostle Paul did, and in today's lesson, Paul gives believers in first century Colossae a primer on the things that ought to be part of the Christian's prayers. There's a lot for us to learn about praying today. In addition, as we do every month, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Well, let's hear some music. There are many ways to worship the Lord. And music is one of the very best ways. Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2 say this, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation in song every day. Songs stimulate the emotions. And in our emotions, we experience appreciation for the Lord, sometimes to the point of tears. That's why it's a good idea not to consider the music ministry as a time to tune out. It's not a time when the songs come on to take a break. It's the time to feel the Lord. Well, here's a song from Houston native Torin Wells, a singer-songwriter sharing one of his songs, When We Pray. People hurting, people broken, beating down and feeling hopeless. Wonder if it's gonna always be this way. Who will speak up for the captive? Show some love and heal a past that binds the wounds we think will never go away.
Speaking of praying, let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us a new and different and totally sufficient lifestyle. Thank you for helping us to be willing to be unique in this copycat, politically correct world. Thank you for showing us how to pray so that we can tap into your divine power. As we learn today, give us spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Open our eyes and our ears so that we hear the truth of your word from God the Holy Spirit. Help us to know in the depth of our souls the sacrifice your Son made on our behalf to save us. Help us to recognize false teachers and false teaching designed to harm us. And give us the courage to spread the good news of the gospel message to everyone we meet, one person at a time. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, do you know how to pray? Do you remember the prayers of your youth? I do. This was the prayer that I said every night before I would go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless mommy and daddy, wherever he is, and the puppy and everybody. Amen. That's a haunting prayer. Yeah, if I die before I wake. That scared the bejesus out of me as a kid. I really didn't like that prayer, but that was the prayer I made, and I, I was down on my knees in my pajamas, saying that prayer. Well, after a prayer like that, it's easy to see what's being communicated by God in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, which says this, the Spirit, that's God the Holy Spirit, helps our weakness in prayer because we don't know how to pray as we should. So God the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We have an intercessor that helps us pray because the way we pray isn't good enough. And that's the funny thing. You know, what we pray about is whatever the thing is that's bothering us at the time or what we pray about is what we want or, you know, we're trying to tell God what we need. Somebody who knows who created you and knows you better than you know yourself does, and who is omniscient, who knows all the knowable, doesn't need your help in knowing what it is that you need. He knows what you need. The real question is, will you accept his verdict in that matter? In my own situation, for example, I know that the health problems that I've been going through over the last year, uh, typically the health problems that I'm experiencing happen to men when they're between the ages of 55 and 65. And God held off until I was on Medicare to give me these health problems so that they could be completely paid for. My eye surgeries was over $60,000. And you know how much I paid? $10.40. Amen? Amen. That's God. So, So he knows what I need. And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, if he knows what I need, why do I have to pray? Because he wants your permission, because he's a gentleman, he wants your permission to give him the right to help you. And he doesn't need your permission to help you because he's probably going to help you anyway. 
but we have the right to ask him for things. And we have the right as believers in Christ to intervene in the human problems of friends of ours who hear things that their human power cannot handle. You know, I have a friend, Tony LaGrasso, and you guys are probably familiar with him if you've been here for a while, but he had bone marrow cancer. And a year later, he was cancer-free. Why? What did Tony do to get cancer-free? He didn't do jack. He just sat in the hospital and let the doctors do the work. And he had a sister who was a perfect bone marrow match for him. Coincidence? I don't think so, because in eternity past, before Tony was even created, God knew that he was going to have this circumstance, and God knew that he was going to have to have a a bone marrow donor, and he put a sister in his life who is the exact match for him. That's how God works. And what are you going to do with your human power to make something like that happen? And the answer is nada, nothing. Nothing at all. But so many people, when the doctors start telling them, oh, you've got this condition and you've got that condition and you have six months to live, they freak out. Why are you freaking out? If you're a Christian, you know that the the time, the manner, and the place of your death is God's sovereign decision. It's not a doctor's decision. And I can't tell you how many people I've known in the course of my life who have been told they had six months to live and they lived for 20 years. Doctor told me once I had six months to live. I said, doctor, I won't be able to pay you. He said, okay, I'll give you another six months. So anyway, we're studying the Apostle Paul. <laughs> we're studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, a group of believers that he would never meet in a small town in the middle of nowhere, which shows you God's concern for people who live in the middle of nowhere, for people who are small. In this world, you know, we hear, well, if if you have a certain color skin, you're lesser. If you're a certain nationality, you're lesser. Not to God. With God, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. There's no gender distinction. There's no social distinction. There's no racial distinction. And so in this small town in the middle of nowhere, about 100 miles from a city called Ephesus in Turkey, where Paul spent three years of his life establishing a church, God thought that they were important enough in the, the cities around them, Laodicea and Neropolis. He thought they were important enough that Paul should write a letter to them. Why? Because they had responded positively to the gospel message And then in came the false teachers to say, yeah, okay, you believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, all right. I mean, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus Christ is just one of the many emanations, one of the many people over the course of time who have come and are learned people who are teaching us how to be. Yeah, whatever. He's God. He's not an emanation. He's not one of the people who belongs in the people circle. He created everybody in the people circle. And so these false teachers come into this city and start ruining everything after this church 
had been established. So from a prison cell in Rome, at the prompting of his friend Epaphras, the pastor of these home-based churches in Colossae and Laodicea and Aeropolis, Paul is writing to deal with the problem of false teachers and their false teaching infiltrating the newly founded churches. That's exactly what happens to you every day of your life. You make a decision to do something for your life. You make a decision. I'm overweight. I want to lose weight. What's the first thing that happens? You start driving down the street. Kentucky Fried Chicken starts yelling at you. Don't you want me? Right? You go in the store, and the barbecue potato chips practically come off the shelf. You know you want to take me home. The Pepsi runs over and says, I want to go too. Everything that is against what you've decided all of a sudden starts bombarding you. If you make a decision that you want to lose weight, your eyes open up. And you go in Costco and you figure out that 90% of the stuff in Costco is poison for you. You start reading labels and you go, man, there's a lot of oses on this label. Anything that's got an ose on the end of it is sugar. Sugar is the devil. And I'll never forget when, when I decided that I wanted to lose weight. I was 245 pounds, and I lost 60 pounds in four months. And you know why? Because I stopped doing the oses. Now, the first thing that this company that helped me with the weight loss told me is, you're going to have to give up sugar. I looked at them like they were crazy, like, I'm going to have to give up sugar. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? I never met a sugar I didn't like. Well, sugar is poison. Tastes great, but it poisons you. It ruins you. Ruins you. And don't even, don't even get me started on high fructose corn syrup, which is this supposed sugar substitute, straight out poison. This is the world we live in, this, this world where everything is deception and everything is out to get you. How do you protect yourself? How do you be on guard from this stuff? As soon as you set a goal, as soon as you say you want something, everything pops up to tell you why you can't do it. That's exactly what happened in this church in Colossae. As soon as they responded positively to the gospel message, Satan sent in his emissaries and said, yeah, that Jesus guy, he's all right. But you could be just so much more spiritual if you would do mysticism. You would be so much more spiritual if you would do worldly philosophy. You would be so much more spiritual if you started denying yourself. You would be so much more... Come on. So much more spiritual. Religious rituals never made anybody spiritual, but we love doing them. Love doing them. I, I know. I, I tried it with my left hand. I wanted to see if that worked. And you know what? I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years. You know that. I am so glad I'm no longer Roman Catholic because you can't, I don't think you can be Roman Catholic over 40 years old because you got to do all this. You know, it's like I can't even get down anymore. I can't go down there touch my knee to the ground and come back up. And you bang your knee, I'll be crippled for a week. So glad I'm not doing that anymore. Well, anyway, Paul is writing to deal with the false teachers and their false teaching that are infiltrating this newly found church. So in verses 1 and 2 
of chapter 1, which we've already covered, Paul establishes his authority as a man with a calling from God sent to the Colossians from God. In verses 3 to 5, Paul thanks the Colossian believers because Epaphras has assured him that these believers are reflecting the Christian way of living with faith in God, absolute confidence in self about having an amazing future, and unconditional love for other believers. And in verses 6 to 8, Paul expresses his confidence that these believers have heard an accurate version of the gospel message, the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation offer. Well, in the next passage, which we'll study today, Paul prays for the Colossian believers, and there's a lot to learn by noticing what Paul prays for. And what I'm wondering is if what Paul prays for are the things that you pray for when you're praying, because Paul really knows how to pray. And my question for you is, do you know how to pray? Do your prayers contain thanksgiving? Do your prayers contain petition for yourself? Do your prayers contain intercession for the problems of others? Do your prayers contain uh, prayers for your enemies, the people you absolutely hate and you wish would fall off the earth somewhere? Because Paul knew how to pray, and he's going to teach us how to pray. Let's examine the passage verse by verse. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14 say this. For this reason also, since the day we heard the report of your unconditional love in Numati, in the Spirit, we, Paul and Timothy, have not stopped praying in intercession for all of you Colossian believers. From his prison cell, Paul is sending prayers up to God so that he will protect the Colossian, Laodicean, and Eropolan believers. And we have not stopped asking God, petition, that all of you, here it comes, may be filled by God with the knowledge of the Father's will. Nothing more important in this life than for you to know the will of God the Father for you and for your life. How many times in your prayers do you say, God the Father, make your will obvious to me? With all the spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding that God the Holy Spirit gives, how many times do your prayers contain, God, give me spiritual wisdom? God, help me understand spiritually. God, open my spiritual eyes. God, open my spiritual ears. This is what Paul is praying for, for these Colossian believers. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So that, as a result of God the Holy Spirit's work in you, all of you will have a lifestyle of purpose. One of the most fun things I do is ask people what their purpose in life is because I love the look they get on their face and how the, the furball comes coughing up out of their throat because God has a purpose for your life. But do you know what it is? Do you think you're too young to figure it out? I knew what my purpose in life was when I was four. How about you? What is the purpose that God put you here for. So, so as a result of God the Holy Spirit's work in you, all of you 
will have a lifestyle of purpose. All of you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so as to please the Lord in all respects. Do you ask God in your prayers to show him how to please him so as to bear fruit in every good work? Christians, when they are doing well, bear fruit. Do you think you have to do that? and to increase in the knowledge of God the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Strengthened with all divine, unlimited, abling power from God the Holy Spirit, from the source of the Spirit's glorious might, which is divine omnipotence, so you might have the greatest possible endurance and the greatest possible patience. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks with joy to God the Father who has qualified us believers in Christ to have a share, our own personal portion of the inheritance of the saints, the Greek word hagias, the holy ones, who are in union with the light, our amazing Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because what did he do for us? Colossians 1.13, God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domains of darkness. We were part of Satan's kingdom from birth. And he transferred us to the kingdom of the Son. God the Father loves the Lord Jesus, the Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Paul is praying asking God to give both the Colossian believers and us as believers in Christ a different kind of life. God wants you to have a different kind of life. Do you want a different kind of life? Or have you settled in to the kind of life that the world says you ought to have? Do you see yourself as unique? Do you think you can make a difference? Or are you just a little sheep running around (laughs) looking for somebody to follow, looking for somebody to imitate, looking for somebody to mock, looking for a role model? Jesus Christ is the only role model. Human beings aren't role models. That's the funny thing to me about all these self-help programs. The self-help programs don't take into consideration your uniqueness. There are things that they might suggest that you don't want to do. There are things that they might suggest that you're not able to do. So is the program that you're on suggesting a way for you to bring out your uniqueness and for you to express your uniqueness? Because I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but you may have a set of objectives that you want to accomplish, and you notice that the people around you don't have the same objectives. They don't want to accomplish that. And you're sitting there waiting for the day when they finally get on the page with you. They ain't going to get on the page with you. You're on a different page. Do you respect your page? That's really the question. So Paul is praying that 
the Colossian believers decide to have a different kind of life. The Gnostics are coming in and saying, "Uh, I don't think you should be different. Just follow us. We know what's spiritual. Just do what we say do. There are a lot of people in your life who are doing the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 describe the Christian way of living this way. This is what a great life looks like according to the Lord. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called by God. Ephesians 1, 2. And what does that look like? With all humility and with gentleness and with patience, showing tolerance for one another and unconditional love. How about the people in your life? Are they doing what you think they ought to be doing? Are they living the life that you think they ought to be living? No, they're not. They're on their own journey. And that may or may not include giving a shit about you. How about that? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they don't. And you think it shouldn't be that way. You think that everybody in your periphery ought to care about you. You think family, 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 my family cares about me. Why don't you check? Why don't you all jump in a lake that's too deep for you to swim in when you can't swim and see who cares about whom? Because I guarantee what you care about themselves a lot more than they care about you. But see, we're, we love these deceptions that Satan puts in our lives. You know, the Bible says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A prophet has honor, just not in his own hometown and not with his own family members. We don't believe that because we hear family's family, family. Number one thing in my life is my family. Okay, so where does God rank? Where does your creator rank? Because your family didn't create you. Where does he rank? Part of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord occurs when we are both effective and diligent in our prayer life. In my view, it's Christ, it's his word, it's prayer. Those are three essentials for being Christians. Well, let's see what the things were that Paul was praying for. What exactly was he praying for? And how do his prayers compare to your own? How often do you pray for the things that Paul was praying for? Here's what he was praying for in the passage. He prayed that the Colossians were filled with, the, with knowledge by God. He prayed that they were filled with spiritual wisdom. He prayed that they were filled with spiritual understanding. He prayed that they were knowledgeable about the will of God. He prayed that they were living a lifestyle of purpose. He prayed that they were living a specific manner of life, worthy. Eusebia is the Greek word, a specific manner of life. Christianity is a specific manner of life. And when you're living it, you're walking in a manner worthy. He prayed that the Colossians are pleasing to the Lord in every way. How often have you asked the Lord to make you pleasing to him in every way? He prayed that they are bearing the fruit of God the Holy Spirit. Who produces the fruit of God the Holy Spirit? The Spirit does. All pressure is off of you. He prayed that they are increasing in the knowledge of the Lord, 
he prayed that they are strengthened by God's power instead of by human power. He prayed that they would be directed by God the Holy Spirit who's leading us into all the truth and who's showing us the path. He prayed that they would endure when they were facing trials, that they didn't turn into a bunch of wimps the moment that they got any pressure whatsoever. He prayed that they were patient with all circumstances. He prayed that they were thankful to God. He prayed that they were filled with joy. He prayed that they would live like the holy ones they are, hagias, saints. How often are any of these things in your prayers? That's one of the reasons I love athletics so much. Athletics is a place where you really learn what life is about because there's always somebody trying to knock your head off. I love that because the same thing is true in life. You have enemies that you don't even know about who want to knock your head off, who want to see you fail. But at least in athletics, you know who they are. They're the people who are wearing a different color uniform than you do. And they may be smiling at you, and they may be nice to you, and then when you fall down on the ground, they help you up. But inside, they're thinking, I can't wait to, to uh, get against you again so I can knock you down again. I love athletics because of that. Because it prepares you for life. Because that's what's really going on in life. And we got so many people in this world today who are just soft. They just cry at the drop of a hat. They just think everything ought to always go well for them, that they should never run into any resistance. But that's not life. Well, Paul has a prayer life that's worthy of the Lord. And the greatest benefit of this lifestyle is that God the Holy Spirit does the work. That's the thing that Christians have to grasp. We have to grasp that God is not going to let us fail in the Christian way of life. And he's not going to do that because he's not counting on you to do the Christian way of life. And you go to any of the religious churches, they're all telling you, okay, now that you've become a believer in Christ, maybe you're saved and maybe you're not. But the real thing is the test of whether you're saved or not is what you do, do, do. What would Jesus do? What can I do? What are you doing? Are you Christ-like? God, the Holy Spirit, is just sitting there laughing at them, thinking, I don't need your help, and I am not going to fail with you. It's the Spirit who is fully capable of changing us, and He does. The changes that God, the Holy Spirit, has made in me over the years are absolutely mind-boggling to me because the things that he's changed in me, none of them would have been things that I actually wanted to do. I don't want to love anybody unconditionally. I want to love people conditionally. I want to love you if you do exactly what I want done, and I want to not love you if you don't. God the Holy Spirit changed that. He changed that in me, and he changes it in you. Thank God for God. So as part of being a Christian, what do we do? We abandon our works. We abandon our guilt for our sordid past. And we stop obsessing about our sins that were paid for at the cross, reflecting 
incessantly about our mistakes. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I made a mistake. Why? Why? You will make many more mistakes in your life than you ever do have successes. We get our eyes off people, and we stop expecting things from people that they could never deliver, even if they wanted to. We learn to love ourselves unconditionally with all your warts and all your all the disgusting things that you see in the mirror so that we can have room in our hearts to love other people unconditionally. And we notice when the enemy is inserting himself into our lives to steal and kill and destroy our serenity and our calm and our peace and what is precious to us. And we reject his over, overtures. What does God say to us? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why would the devil resist? Why would the devil flee from you if you resist him? Because he's a coward. The Christian way of living is a journey conducted on a road. That's why it's called a walk. On the road of life, sometimes we walk. Sometimes we're carried by God. Sometimes we run. I remember when I got ordained as a pastor I was so excited. I said, all right, God, thanks. I'm ordained now. Put me in the game. He said, shut up and sit down at the end of the bench. And that's why I'm looking forward later this year to teaching you the letter to the Ephesians because it's broken up into three parts. Sit, three chapters. Walk, two chapters. Stand, one chapter. Six chapters. Sit, walk, stand. What does God expect us to do more of? Sit. And then after you've learned, then walk. And then after you walk, then take a stand. Amazing, this guy we have knows what he's doing. So on this road, sometimes we walk, sometimes we're carried by God, sometimes we run. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Let us believers in Christ run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers? What does Paul wish for believers in Christ today? He wants us to remember Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says this, I, Paul, am confident of this very thing, that God the Father, who began a divine good work in the creation of you, will keep on perfecting it, until the day of Christ Jesus. The lifestyle God provides is attacked and perverted in Satan's kingdom. False teachers introduced very seductive and destructive heresies to get us off track. Unfortunately, often we adopt Satan's worldly lifestyle, constructing a do-it-yourself life that sabotages our happiness. We're not happy. Why aren't you happy? Because you're trying to run your own deal. God's will is the same for every believer in Christ. He wants to develop in us right thinking, resulting in a right lifestyle, reflecting the spiritual royalty that we are, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, You believers in Christ are a chosen race, a race of king priests, a set-apart-for-privileged nation, a people formed for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the next time you pray, 
pray for new things. Realize that you have access to the exact same power that resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Get it that your Christian lifestyle is like riding a bicycle downhill. You don't have to pedal furiously. You can let God do the work. And you go along for the ride. You simply say yes to every good thing he teaches you in his word and avoiding everything that is harmful to you. Thus is the obedient life, a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I'm always chuckling about people who want to lose weight. I remember when I lost the 60 pounds or so and everybody said, well, you could do that because you're disciplined. Yeah, I am. I'm extremely disciplined. Since I was two years old, I learned a very important discipline, and I use it incessantly every day. Here's the discipline. I reach down, I pick up food, and I bring it to my mouth. I've been doing that for 67 years, and I am so good at it. You know the only thing I changed? What was in my hand? I have all the discipline I need. I just changed what was in my hand. (laughs) I had to give up sugar. I hated that. We've got all the discipline we need to do anything we want in this life. We always like putting all these conceptual barriers in the way of us having the life we want to have. God does it. When we return, take the offering and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Take a five minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say Down. 
back today's bible lesson do you know how to pray well often as part of my prayers i ask god the holy spirit to open your heart with a spirit of generosity proverbs chapter 19 verse 17 says the one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the lord and the lord will repay him for his good deed May God the Holy Spirit give you a burning desire to serve those who are spiritually bankrupt. Your generosity is the means by which Bra Ministries can provide an accurate gospel message to be enjoyed all around the world. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Amen. I'm blessed because at Barah Ministries, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. Amen. And that's why we sit up here and we stream every weekend, and we save MP4s and MP3s for you to listen to for free. We offer everything here for free. We have gourmet food, which you would actually have to come here to get, but we have gourmet food for free. We have everything, and we have a pastor that's dedicated to Christ, and so... That's why we come here each week. And I've been thinking a lot about false teachers this week and how 
This world is actively trying to distract us from God. And a lot of times we're not actively trying to search God or trying to follow God. So it's taking us away pretty quickly, actually. And you think about it with finances. A lot of people become rich and they think, oh, I'm, I'm more important now. I'm more wise or I have more power. But really, getting a new house or a new car doesn't change you personally. You're not smarter or wiser all of a sudden. You may think you're better. But those things actively take you away from God and actively distract you from going anywhere further. And, you know, what's next? Facebook, our phone. I always pick on Facebook because I particularly don't like it, but Twitter, Instagram, all those things, they have algorithms that are actively putting things in your face, either tear you down or pull you away. And it's so seductive. It's addictive. And those things are just on top of finances and Facebook and your phone. They're pulling you away. And then you just think about fun. People want to have fun. They have so many hobbies. This couple weekends ago, they had Barrett Jackson here. Hundreds of millions of dollars flying around for cars to sit in garages, cars to be polished and shine that don't do anything. They don't change the person. You gain the world, but you, you lose your soul. You know. And then now that we've had golf this weekend, another hundreds of millions of dollars flying around for golf, for a game, for beer and drinking and for hanging out for fun. Nothing to do with God, nothing to do with your spiritual life. Actively pulling you away from God. All the money that you have. Think about all the cars parked in garages and all the clubs and all the things that money piled away. And I always pick on guys, but you know, girls, you have it too with your handbags and your shoes. There's closets full of stuff, just, just treasures stored away that do nothing to help this church, to help God, to help get the gospel out. And you know, you think. There's just so many hobbies, and you have sports this weekend. Sports is pulling people away. There's people, like Pastor said, he hit on that. I was going to say it, that you know, people have spent all week preparing the menu and the food and getting people here and organized, and they haven't had one thought of God or any of that money going towards God. You know? And so it gets frustrating when we're here and everybody's so focused somewhere else, but we're going to stay focused, and we always will be focused. And so that's why it's great that you give it the offering, and then we're here to help you Remember, don't think about your finances or Facebook or fun. Think about faith and help people to remember 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Because that's the thing. You could have a house and lose it all in one day. There was somebody that paid a, a bill. I think it was at um, one of the coffee spots. And they had a a tip that was incorrect. They had a $4,000 tip come off their credit card. And they went to pay their bill or go on vacation, and they couldn't do what they could do. Because money is just zeros in a bank account, you know. It's, it's, it's all digital. It doesn't really exist. So anyway, let's fix our eyes or fix our hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Don't fix our eyes on the world. Don't fix our eyes on Christ, because he has our back, and he lives up to his name. He's actively searching us, and we should actively support him and actively support ministries that that support him. So thank you for being active and coming here today, enjoying the gourmet food, the gourmet lesson, all for free. Without you giving to this ministry, we wouldn't be able to be here. So thank you very much.
Thank you, Deacon Denny. I was just thinking about your your message stimulated a lot of thoughts. Tom Brady is going to get $250 million to be a color commentator on football broadcasts. I could do that. I wouldn't charge nearly that much. <laughs> I'd just charge three, but oh well. The Lord's Supper celebration. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. So let's enjoy this Lord's Supper celebration. There are people in your life who are no longer here on earth. They have passed on, as we say euphemistically. They have died. And if they're significant in your life, sweet memories remind you why they were meaningful when they were here. Mom comes to mind. I have regular memories of her, and I still get choked up when thinking about her. We remember. In the Lord's Supper celebration, we remember. Why are believers in Christ obedient to the request from our Lord to celebrate this way? The Lord's Supper was established by the Lord on the night of his final meal with his apostles, known as the Last Supper. The meal was depicted in a mural by artist Leonardo da Vinci in the 1400s, and it was described in the Gospel of John. The meal was held during Passover, the Jewish celebration of their escape from 400 years of captivity in Egypt. Meals like this are a time when we come together as families. The Lord wants his family, the church-age believers, and that's what we are, church-age believers, to come together while remembering him. What do you remember about the Lord during this special time? When your mind drifts to him, what do you remember about him? The Lord commanded his apostles, do this Lord's Supper in memory of me. It was a command. The Lord suggested frequency, keep on doing this in memory of me. So we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross regularly. We eat to remember who he is as a person. We drink to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made on our behalf as our sin substitute. Think about that. Sin always connects to death. And rather than having you die, the Lord died for you as your substitute. Whether you're a believer in Christ or an unbeliever, he died for you so you would not have to die. This spiritual meal is a deep, intimate, and personal expression of our unconditional love for the Lord Jesus Christ. During this celebration, the Lord reminds us what his body and his blood did for us to provide an eternal future of spiritual nourishment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul reminds us on behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, what you're doing is proclaiming as a reality and announcing the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death until he comes again at the second coming. Well, today we remember that we are redeemed. Colossians chapter 1. Verses 13 and 14, which we just studied in the first part of this lesson, say this, God the Father rescued us believers in Christ from the domain of darkness that we were born into 
and he transferred us to the kingdom of the Son, the Father loves, the Lord, Jesus, the Christ, in whom we have redemption. There's that word, redeemed, redemption, which is what? The forgiveness of sins. There are a lot of biblical terms that you hear on a regular basis, but do you really stop to ask yourself what they mean? Do you wonder how they apply to your life today? You, if you're a believer in Christ, you are redeemed. What does that even mean? The, the, the word redeem is one of those terms that we hear flying around all the time. Do you ever stop to think about what it means? Now, you probably think of redeeming a coupon at a grocery store to get a discount. What does redeem mean in the spiritual life, though? Simply put, redemption is one of the many things that the Lord did for you at the cross. You came to earth as a spiritual slave in a state of slavery to sin. You were born in union with Adam, who is the first man on earth and the federal head of the human race. And his first sin, which was done with complete cognizance, created the situation where all human beings would be born spiritually dead. The moment he sinned, he died spiritually, and that death, that spiritual death, passed to all men because all were considered to have sinned when Adam sinned. And if you are spiritually dead, the moment you close your eyes in this life, you are going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. And there is only one reason why you would ever spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that's because you want to. And you want to when you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't want you to spend a second in the lake of fire, made it possible for you to be redeemed. What does redeemed mean? It means being released from slavery. You were born into slavery, now you're released. It's like what Abraham Lincoln did when he freed the slaves in 1863. He said, you're all slaves, you all belong to somebody, but now you don't. You are free to do whatever you want. Redeem means to be freed by a ransom payment. If you're going to be free when you're a slave, somebody has to pay to get you out of that. When you're a slave, someone or something owns you. For example, the Lord says, anyone who commits sins is a slave to sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, and he was talking to unbelieving Jews, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. These unbelieving Jews had just told Jesus, we've never been in slavery to anyone. Okay, well, you have a bad memory because the Jews were in slavery to the Egyptians for 400 years, but you have a bad memory. Now, when a slave is freed, someone pays for the release from slavery. Well, who is it that released Christians from slavery to sin? First of all, who is released from slavery to sin? Us, believers in Christ. Who released us from slavery to sin? The person, the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the ransom payment? 
the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was the ransom payment. He shed his blood as the payment to get us out of slavery. What did the Lord redeem us from? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 10 say this, Through Christ, we believers who are in union with Christ, and that's every believer, have redemption. We are redeemed by the Lord, purchased by a ransom payment from slavery through Jesus' blood. That was the payment. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of God the Father's grace. What is grace? God giving you something that you don't deserve. Ephesians 1.8. Which grace? The Father lavished on us believers in Christ. Just poured it all over us like syrup on pancakes. In all wisdom and insight. Ephesians 1.9. God the Father made known to us, believers in Christ, the mystery of God the Father's will according to His good pleasure which the Father set forth in His Son, Jesus. Ephesians 1.10. Regarding God the Father's plan for the fullness of times, to bring all things together in Christ under his leadership, things in the heavens and things on earth. And notice he didn't mention things under the earth, where the lake of fire is, because those folks have already rejected our relationship with Jesus Christ. He redeemed us from our past, the factual guilt that we were born in Adam. When you're born, you're in union with Adam. You are guilty. You are spiritually dead. You are guilty. You are going to the lake of fire unless you choose to let God save you. We are now no longer in union with Adam as believers in Christ. We are in Christ, in Christo Iesu, in union with Christ, freed from spiritual death. Why? We're spiritually alive. That's what it means to be born again. Christians are born again. The spiritual death is now spiritual life because we're counting on Jesus Christ as the way to salvation. We are freed from the futility of the old man life. And that's what Deacon Denny was talking about. There are a lot of rich people who have a lot of money and they think they don't need God. They don't need a crutch. I had a friend of mine telling me recently, you know, people who need God are weak. I said, they are. And I said, I count myself first and foremost among those weak people. I'm so weak that I can't save myself. But Jesus is so strong that he can save me. I'm counting on him. I'm going to put my salvation on his back because I can't do it. He just looked at me with a lot of contempt. I'm fine with that. He redeemed us from our present state. The feelings of guilt. See, you are actually guilty because you were born spiritually dead. And, and then you sin too. So you can't say, well, why did Adam do that? You sin too. And now you're really guilty because you did the same thing Adam did, only faster. And now what, what, is, what does Satan want you to do? He wants you to feel guilty. How many times have you felt guilty for a sin? The sin's paid for. Why are you feeling guilty for something that's already paid for? The feelings of guilt, because we still commit... Because I'll tell you why you do. Because Satan tells you that you don't have a right to enjoy anything. 
Why is it that when you, you bite into one of those big donuts that tastes so good with all that sugar and glaze dripping off of it, why is it that you feel guilty? Oh, I feel so guilty when I eat a donut. I didn't feel guilty when I ate that donut this morning. We still commit sins and we feel guilty, huh? I, yep, just, I got the discipline. Hey, I put that donut right in my mouth. He redeemed us for our absolutely certain future when the Lord will free us from everything defective in us. There will be no more flesh telling us how bad we are and hating God and encouraging us to hate God. There will be no more disease. There will be no more misery. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears for all eternity. What redeemed us? The Lord's work at the cross. That's what we remember at the Lord's Supper. That's what we celebrate today as a family, the body of Christ. We celebrate the person of the Lord. We celebrate the work of the Lord. And we are grateful for all he continues to do for us, including our redemption. We are redeemed. All right, well, let's enjoy the elements. Bread and wine. The Lord gave us these things to remember him. And we will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. So Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28, tell us the reason the Lord wants us to celebrate together. While the apostles were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take this, eat it, this is my body which is being broken for you. And when Jesus had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, my blood, poured out for whosoever for the forgiveness of their sins. We celebrate to remember Jesus Christ died for us as our sin substitute. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead to prove his deity. Jesus Christ will come again to gather us unto himself. We celebrate and we are grateful. And we remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally. He forgives us completely for every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future. They were credited to him and judged. And it's a finished deal, paid in full. He always treats us with grace. He always gives us blessings we could never deserve. So thank you, Lord, for making it possible through the cross for every single one of your creatures to be saved and to have a life that is blessed. Thank you for all of your gifts. Enjoy the elements as you listen to Telly Leong remind us where our spiritual gifts come from. on the land but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand he sends the snow in winter the warmth to swell the grain 
The breezes and the sunshine, the soft, refreshing rain. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. And thank the Lord, oh thank the Lord for all His sings that song, Telly Leung is gay, and he's also Chinese, and when he told his family that he was gay, they pretty much disowned him, but God didn't. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, because God didn't disown him, because God doesn't disown us for our sins. He embraces us even though he knows that we commit sins. And he thought enough of us to go to the cross and to pay for every sin we'd ever commit. But as human beings, we don't treat people with that respect. We see somebody sinning and then we want to criticize them. God never does. Well, the closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone, anywhere who is undecided 
about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. God gave you an amazing gift from the moment of birth, volition, the ability to choose. You have the power of free will, the power of choice. You can make your own decisions. What do you choose to believe about God? There are many beliefs about God. A belief is an opinion or a conviction or a confidence in the existence of something that does not seem provable. Yet everything with God is provable, and there is no need for blind faith with God. He reveals himself in ways that make sense to human being, which means he reveals himself in ways that make sense to you. If he didn't, what kind of God would he be? Would he be worthy of worship? Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind, being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe so that all mankind, especially unbelievers, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. He builds himself right into our conscience. Well, Satan, the enemy of God, prefers that we have beliefs. He knows there's a big difference between beliefs and truth because only when our beliefs and the truth are the same are our beliefs significant. Satan hates the truth. Why? He can't handle the truth. Do you choose to believe Satan, or do you choose to believe God? What many people believe is that they can impress God so much that he will let them into heaven because of good deeds and religious practices. So they give money to beggars, they give food to the homeless, they give back to the community. Yet none of these good deeds, while admirable, are good enough to get anyone into heaven. The Bible... God's manual for your life tells a completely different story about your works. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us believers in Christ not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy. And his mercy is not giving us the wrath of God that sin deserves. By the washing of regeneration and through the renewing, by God the Holy Spirit. The Bible directs all mankind to let God do the saving. You would never put your salvation and that burden on your own back because your good deeds won't get you into heaven. But God's plan can. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God. I am the resurrection life, eternal life, and no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. The apostle Paul describes the amazing Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 3 and 4, which say this. I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, when you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, these are much more than beliefs. It's the absolute truth. So how do you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that He is deity, that He is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven. And with the mouth, a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. It's wise to let God save you, because once God does a thing, it can't be undone. God never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has consequences. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42 say this, So just as the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will send his elect angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. That's unbelievers. And those who commit lawlessness. That's unbelievers. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. Make the most important choice of your life right this minute. Do what is suggested in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. That's a one-time decision with the result that lasts forever. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this. God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through Him. Take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. God wants you. Why bother working for your salvation with good deeds when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work on the cross. Give back to you. Well, let's close with some music. We pray as individuals. We pray as a congregation, as the royal family of God. We pray for ourselves. We pray for others. We pray for our enemies. When we feel our prayers are inadequate, we remember that prayers are divine and we have a helper, God the Holy Spirit, as we pray. Here's June Murphy to remind us how to pray in her song, we pray to the Father.
good to hear from her. her knee it's healing really well but it's still hurting a lot she's got to get that other knee done and we miss her very much so let's offer words of praise to our lord and doxology words designed to be an encouragement for you romans 15:5. now may the god who gives endurance and encouragement grant that all of you be of the same mind with one another Think the exact same way, operating in harmony, according to your union with Christ Jesus. Romans fifteen six, So that with one accord, you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans fifteen seven, Therefore, keep on accepting one another and keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also keeps on accepting 
accepting us all in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for helping us to understand a life of freedom, a lifestyle free from guilt, the life of grace and peace you keep on calling us to. As we go forward into the unknown challenges of the coming week, help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Help us to reflect your gifts of faith, hope, and love in such a way that people are curious enough to ask what makes us so relaxed and confident and happy. Help us gravitate to a lifestyle of purpose. Give us the courage to speak of you and your spirit and your son as the only hope in this lost and dying world of darkness. Show us how to be pleasing to you. Know us and give us the desires of our heart. Make us wise. Protect our health. Fill us with joy and sufficiency. Cause everyone and everything dear to us to flourish. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor at pastor at baraministries.com. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening. Keep on studying the word of God.